Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Charlie Post, it's great to have you here. And some people might say, considering those who know you best, slightly surprising to have you here considering the last few days where, where have you been so i've actually been on my stag do in pamplona <laughs> so we were we, we did the bull run and uh I, I got back late last night and yeah it's been a, it's been a tough few days mate to be honest yeah well you look remarkably well and fresh i mean is that just from years of practice at this sort of thing <laughs> <laughs> uh, surely not no to be honest i think my, my wife to be has been a major help in moisturizing me on the way down and making sure that i look as good as possible it's just past nine i don't think we need to know about what your wife does to you on the way down but what tell us about the the what happened in, in pamplona um and uh, and your experience there so i wanted to do something completely different for my stag do i've, I've been with other friends andrew tinkler went to vegas tom messenger last year i beefed and i thought i want to do something that's going to frighten the living daylights out of them and they're going to remember forever and so yeah the ball run was what we decided to do and uh, early on friday morning which was actually my birthday as well we got up at about 5 30 in the morning went down to wait on the street uh, in nervous anticipation to the eight o'clock start time and then we, we ran like hell why I don't know, it's just something I've always wanted to do, you know, as in uh, I, I retired on Wednesday or whatever and thought, you know, I'd still need more adrenaline in my life, so that's what we're going to go for next. Well, that's interesting, in a sense, to talk about that, because the first thing that a lot of ex-sportsmen do when they retire is they have to cope with the fact that the adrenaline is gone. And I know that we talk about it and we laugh about that, that particular scenario, but it is quite a serious issue because some people can't actually cope with uh, stepping away from something that's provided such a rush for so many years. I think it's incredibly tough. I mean, I, the one thing I've said throughout is, is I feel incredibly fortunate that I've been sort of building up to the next stage of my life and career for a long time. And I've made the conscious decision that I wanted to immerse myself in that rather than race riding now. But for a lot of guys you and girls, sorry, you, you pack up on, mm. on, on, on whichever day and you've immediately got to think, well, what am I actually going to do with the rest of my life? And, and, Race riding is incredible, but it's, it's not like a bit, being a professional footballer where you're going to have enough money to be set up for life. You've all of a sudden got a, the realisation that I need to earn a living and what am I going to do next? And mm. for a lot of people trying to find something that gives you the same sort of thrill and, and, and that race riding does is very, very tricky. 36 years old. Happy birthday, as you said. You celebrated your 36th birthday earlier this week. Um, so why retire? That is relatively young. In, in the racing world for riders. So why, why so, so soon? Being straight up, uh, over the last few years, my girlfriend and I have built this yard up where we break in, pre-train for a lot of professional yards, Ollie Murphy, Dan Skelton, John Joe O'Neill. And we also produce young horses alongside the Irish model. So we buy unbroken three-year-olds, 
on spec and then we with the idea of hopefully they'll win a point to point on debut in the following spring and be sold for big profit is, is the ideal and so over the last few years as our, our numbers have built up I think we moved to the RDO with eight horses we had about 50 in most of the time during this winter my time and the ability to go and ride out become less and less it was maybe four years ago I was riding out four days a week to this year I was hardly able to ride out at all and as a jump jockey especially, if you're not riding out every day, you cannot keep busy. And it was actually starting to grate on me. I think I only had 80-odd rides last season. Mm. You become a bit part player, you know, you're, you're no longer in it. And if you, and it's, it's just not the way I wanted to carry on. And so for me, now was the right time. OK, we'll, we'll come back to that latter point. Let's, let's go back to the beginning if we can and, and the start for you in, in racing and why you wanted to pursue a career as a jockey. And you actually started on the flat. Your yep. first ride was on the flat. Yeah, and no, I was just obsessed with sport all the way through as a kid, and whether rugby, football, what hockey, whatever. And, and race riding, well, riding came to me sort of when I was I don't know ten or eleven. I went to a riding school with a mate, and was I just loved the thrill of going fast. I think I think probably most people that become jockeys that that's the the immediate thing that that grabs you that you're on something mm-hmm. that you you are in control of to a degree, but it's you know it, it's quite a crazy fun way to earn a living you know and and so it went from there I always wanted to be a jump jockey uh, but when I left school I think I was about seven and a half stone and a little over five foot tall so Geraldine Reese who I started with suggested the right way to go would be to ride on the flat initially Um, and then as you get a bit older when I and I got bigger and switched over and you realize money's more important I think well you know I'd have probably I'd have probably been better off earning a career on the flat you know well, that's one of the things that a lot of jockeys have to cope with, the financial strain of, of, of things. Um, would you said that when you're, when you're learning about the game, that that's such a hard time for, a, for a, a youngster because the finances are so poor at that level? I think it, it's tough full stop, yeah. I mean, like, like I say, as a jockey, you're, you're, you're never going to get rich, you know, as in, well, very few of us are, but, but you're, you're earning a decent living. It's an incredible lifestyle. I'm not sure if I'd always go along with, like, I think Hayley Turner said, work in racing, you never work a day in your life, which I don't agree with, to be honest. And there's a lot of hard graft, you know, as in especially, mm. you know, to the staff that work in the yard, and especially as a jockey, it is, it is hard, it's mentally tough. There are so many things outside of what the people see on the TV that you, you don't get. It's quite a lonely existence, and there is no doubt financially that can be a big strain on lads mm. as well. So you, you start off in racing, and, and there are the strains that go with it, but, or the stresses that go with it, but there are also things that you learn. I think you speak about the time that you spent at Geraldine Reese's and, and learn to do things the right way, learn things as a person as much as anything else. And although, yes, things are difficult and it's hard work, there, is, there, is, there are other benefits that perhaps can complement that. Yeah, I mean... Like- I'm not being negative. It's the most incredible thing in the world, you know. As in, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change what's happened to me for all the the money in the world. It's, yeah. it's been the best. But I mean, certainly at Geraldine's, you're taught to do things the right way, you know. And I actually do think within the industry we're losing that, you know. That they they used to be far more of like an apprenticeship way where you were tied into a yeah. yard and you 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 had to stay there and, and do things right. And she. Like I say, she's the most wonderful lady, and she taught me so much about riding and horses and all that. But she was a chair. She was the toughest person I've ever worked for, 100%. Well, you went to Richard Farhees after that, didn't you? So how did the comparison... Richard's was a work? cakewalk by comparison, you know. As <laughs> I, in, bet uh, he, I bet he'd be glad to hear that. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I, I remember as a kid, I had a little motorbike going, and I used to 
go to the gym twice a day trying to impress. And I remember Geraldine pulling me in the office one day and said, look, you know, if you, going to the gym is for married couples that don't like spending time with each other anymore. If you want to get yourself <laughs> properly fit, you want to buy a bike, take the saddle off it, and you should be watching your weight as well. Get, get on the gallop with a sweatsuit, run around the gallop and all that. Uh, she was really tough, but in, in a great, great way. As in, she gave me a thorough grounding in life. And I think also as a, as a jockey, you, you learn life skills that can switch over into the, the outside world very, very easily. You know? Can you give me an example of that? Well, you become a great timekeeper. If you want to do well in the job, you have to become a very good communicator. You know, the job now so much is, a, is all about putting on a show and, and providing entertainment for owners and all that. If you can't communicate well and, and do all these sort of things, you're not going to last long, I don't think, unless you're incredibly talented. Mm. And so there are so many skills that, that tie over and, and, and will help you in your future life. Yeah. Yeah. So when the, the decision came to, to go to, to jumps, um, how easy was it and what route did you take to that? So I had a few rides for, for, for Richard over hurdles. Um, probably actually re- regret not staying there longer, um, but I was keen to get on and ended up moving down towards near Banbury, started with Milton Harris. And again, he, he, was, he was very good. He gave me a lot of opportunities, you know. But uh, like I would always like to think I, I worked bloody hard, you know, as in I was, I, was, I was never shy of hard work. And again, the harder you work, it becomes tougher for people not to give you opportunities. So... I built up from there. Uh, he, he gave me a lot of winners and, and then, you know, sort of started building relationships with Richard Lee, Robin Dick and people like that and, and things went from there. Yeah, and, and through those years and the hard work, <laughs> I think, I think when, when you announced your retirement, a lot of people who spoke about you said that that was a thing about you, is that you, you didn't mind hard work, you didn't mind what it entailed to ride a horse for anybody, go wherever it was or, or whatever. Um, and did you find that those people, the one thing that you enjoyed was, was loyalty from them? Yeah, I think definitely. I think the relationships I've built have lasted throughout my career, which is uh, not, it's on, well, it probably is unusual within racing a lot now, you know, as in people switch back and forth. But mm. the majority of the main people that I've ridden for, I've ridden for throughout my career. And uh, I think that's well testament to those guys as much as me, you know, as in, and, and, and I always enjoyed being in the yard, like building relationships with horses at home, schooling, riding difficult horses, trying to make a difference. And that was something that I really got a kick out of. Let's talk about some of your, your highlights in the saddle. One horse that you rode, one of my favourites over the last few years, was, was Thomas Crapper. Um, I always felt that there was a Cheltenham Festival win in him. Um, there were a couple of times where I thought he was well handicapped, didn't quite work out for him. Um, but what, what was he like to ride and how good was he? He's, he, was a, he was a very good handicapper on his day. You know, as in, uh, he was always great fun to ride because you had to drop him in. That he, he used to be quite keen in his early days and... If, if I had one regret, like you know, not having a Cheltenham Festival when it was it, and the, and the day he finished second, the novice handicap chase was was galling, you know, as in because I think we jumped the last sort of third on our side, and and I just got the front, and whoosh, Irish Cavalier came flying up the outside and won comfortable, and uh, yeah, I was I was absolutely gutted. But he did give you a, a fabulous day at Newbury in yeah, 2017. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and I, like I won in twice around Cheltenham and stuff like that, as in we, we had a, we had a lot of great days together, and. And yeah, he was a special horse to me. He was, he was the type of horse that uh, he just seemed, when I was watching you through the race, I was never completely convinced how well he was going. Because you'd, you'd squeeze for a stride or two, and I'd think, oh, he's in trouble a long way out. And then he'd be back on the bridle again. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was, he was a right character. I mean, I remember in his early days at Robbins, like, there, was, there was one day when it was uh, snowing at the yard, and he just refused to move, you know, as in he... Like, he'd, he'd, <laughs> He, he had his own mind, like for him. sure. Yeah, he's like, he he's, will, uh, yeah, I don't like the snow much either. But he, he very much had his own mind, and, and you had to humour him. And 
there were days when he was on song and he was very, very good. And then he'd go through periods where it wouldn't really happen for him at all. And then from nowhere, he'd just come back alive in, in, in a race for no apparent reason. I mean, Newbury that day in the Great World Gold Cup was a bit like that. He, he hadn't been going particularly well for a while. And then all of a sudden, I mean, he, he absolutely sluiced up that day. I mean, it looked like he jumped in, jumped in yeah. the ditch. And, and, and it, it, was, it was a special day for everyone. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. One of the big talking points over the last week or so in the wake of Charlie Fellows' excellent article in the Racing Post has been the whip. Uh, we've got three great minds on the show today, so we thought we might have a little bit of chat. Charlie has advocated the potential of disqualifying a horse if a rider breaks the rules uh, and exceeds the use of the whip that is permitted. Charlie, I'm going to come to you first, because one of the things that a lot of people have spoken about, uh, for example, Haley Turner has mentioned on ITV that she didn't, she wasn't counting, she wasn't able to count, heated the battle. It's something that all jockeys have spoken about. Um, what are your thoughts on if you exceed the number of strikes permitted on a horse, that if you do that, the horse, or other infringements, the horse gets disqualified? I think it's going to, it's inevitable that's going to come in, you know. As in, uh, the only thing I would slightly concern me is, is the number going to have to change then? Is it, you know, is seven too many then, you know, with, to, to keep count of in theory, you know? Do, do you make it a lesser amount and say, look, it's four or five, everyone can sort of hopefully keep within that. And there's there's no doubt that in, for the first week or so, it might be a big problem. They might be also getting disqualified. But the only thing I would also worry is... It, it, could be quite unsavoury if, if someone goes over and it's like, well, hang on a sec, we're going to go in the steward's room and get the abacus out now and have has someone gone over and then they're disqualified. I don't know how well to the wider world it will look, you know, as in when, when you have horses that are winning on merit, them being disqualified because of it. But I think it's an inevitable in, in, in this day and age that there's probably something like that is going to have to happen. You say that, but there are people willing to defend the current position, uh, certainly with regards to bookmakers, for example, Dave. They're saying it would cause havoc if this happened with the way people bet, especially on a busy day like yesterday? It would, if you imagine, a, from a punter's perspective, to a, if you're at bat thanks speed, it was thrown out because Haley had used the whip nine times rather than seven, the second promoted. I mean, there's lots of goodwill gesture now. Do you think many bookmakers would offer goodwill gesture if Frankie mm. Dettori was thrown out? It's fourth in the afternoon, Ascot was beaten, got on by a short head, he used the whip nine times, got disqualified. don't think they'd be clamming to give you a refund there on that one. It's also a perception, and I, I do agree, something is going to happen because it's not going to go away, the whip issue. As much as at the moment it's an internal discussion, there are going to be external pressures take place. But could you imagine the PR if the Gold Cup winner is disqualified or the Grand National winner is disqualified for excessive use of the whip, if that's what's going to come in? The news headlines will be all about the whip, not the Grand National winner, not the... At the moment, we're not quite there. But we're in this position whereby there's going to be pressure put upon the spot for you. So it's for two things, the encouragement to the go-forward or it's a corrective... I think it will stay... Jock will be able to use it as a corrective issue. They've got to do through safety, I mean, I'm not a horseman, quite clearly, Mother Nature sort of that, but jockeys do require them, Charlie will know an awful lot more than me, as a safety record, whether we're going to be able to use them in years to come to urge horses to go forward, I wouldn't be so sure. Gay Kellerwood would still be the only woman to have ridden a winner at Ascot if those rules were in place. Eve, what are your thoughts on how we rectify this ongoing issue? I think to say that jockeys can't count to seven is ridiculous. Of course they can count to seven. I think that... Um, Yes, there should be some leeway to disqualify. If it is so far over, it's horrendous. Um, you know, 
But if it's one or two over, then yes, give them a bigger disqualification and a bigger ban, and and it should relate to the um, size of the race as well. You know, if it's a group one, then yeah, you have got you get a bigger ban, a bigger mm. fine, and if say. Um, Say you're 11 or 12, and it looks... I mean, it's all about perception, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's all about perception. If it looks to the public like you are thrashing that horse, then of course you must disqualify them. But I think if you're one or two over... I mean, there's got to be... If you speed, you don't automatically get your licence taken away. Mm. You get three points. So, And it's the same with the days, with the jockeys. So there's got to be also leeway. There's got to be, you know, bands within Mm. it. And... Basically, jockeys have to be re-educated because it's not the younger ones doing it. Um, they're very rare. I, mean, I have a, an apprentice and she keeps getting a couple of days and I've told her that she, if she gets any more two days, I'm going to ban her myself. <laughs> right. Because you can't, you can't carry on doing this. We have to self-police because mm. otherwise it will be policed for us. The, the subject of public perception is an interesting one because it keeps coming up and it's obviously a problem that the BHA feel that they have to deal with and you can understand that. But when we make a decision in the heat of the moment, especially, say, after a race at Royal Ascot, who is making that decision? It's not a, based on a public perception. Isn't that decision going to be based by, on racing professionals? Because there are times where a racing professional looks at a result of a race in the immediate aftermath and they think... It's not terrible what's happened, but somebody with a public perception who isn't a f- completely au fait with racing, is not a regular race goer, they might think that what we think is okay and acceptable is unacceptable. So it's quite, who's, who's going to make that call and what's the public perception? Well, you just have to have a line, don't you? And, that's what well, it, and, and someone has to make the call and someone has to make... The line. But that's where it probably has to be that if you go over a certain amount, you're disqualified. Because I, I don't know how you then say, well, we're going to go back to a panel now who are again going to review the race. Does it look unsavoury? Are you too many over? Are you this? Are you that? As in, and I, I'm completely agreeing with you. I, I, I don't think it probably needs to be as draconian as what we're talking. But I think once you're going to go down that line, it has to be if you go over, you're disqualified. Because I just don't see... Because then, you, then you'll get a, a, a race where someone's gone over, but the panel's decided that it's not that unsavoury, so they keep the race. And then someone from out, mm. out, out, outside our control will be like, no, no, we disagree with that. And I don't know where you draw the line. So do you think we have two numbers? There's a number that triggers a ban for the rider, and then a, a number above that that triggers a disqualification. Yeah, that's, that's, what, that's, that's, that's what I think. That's what I was trying to focus on. Obviously very badly, but yeah, I think so. And are we saying basically it is inevitable that in the coming period in racing, say the next 12 months, it is possible we may have uh, disqualifications for excessive use of the whip. I think, but if you, if you have one or two, you won't have any more. That's, that's that, the other that's argument the that's coming yeah, up that at the, the argument, moment. Isn't it? And the only way that we're going to find that out yeah. is by introducing it. And yeah. Probably when you're saying about jockeys can all count, well, I do agree. If you, they just won't go near seven, will they? No, they'll just stop at four. Stop at four. Stop at four, and then you've got an extra yeah. couple in the bag yeah. if you need them. Yeah. So. You know. And 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 you think that the way things stand, jockeys should be able to do that, even though they some have said, "I it's the heat in the moment, can't." Yeah, but if they only, if you're coming into the final, I, I mean, I can only speak for the flat. Um, but if you're coming into the final furlong and you've just given them a couple of couple of backhanders just to get them going. You know that's two. You can work that one out. Then you... Maybe in the final final, you give them another two. Well, that's four. And then 
So you, you, it gets a bit tight. Well, you know you've still got two or three in the bag. Maybe you might go one over, but you shouldn't be going four over. What about over jumps, Charlie? How the would you? The only difficulty I'd have is is say you're riding one a three and a quarter mile chase on heavy ground and, and they're jumping sloppy early and you gave them a, 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 a smack just to kind of say come on now liven yourself up so you've only got seven in theory left and then two miles yeah. later you're and, and that's where the counting becomes an issue because I'll, be, I'll be honest that, if you yeah. then jumped 12 more fences yes. and done everything in the race and to get to to then subconsciously be like I must remember now I've there's only one seven because one's already they, gone they can say if you have give them a couple in the country they don't Count towards your whatever it is. But what it's, I think what we're all showing, though, it actually needs a lot of sensible discussion yeah, and not just be like, that's yeah. what we're going to do and that's the end of it, because it, it is something that needs debating far more. Well, we spoke <laughs> about one of, uh, one of the horses you rode, Thomas Crapper, who would come off the bridle, you'd, you'd, get, you'd wake him up and he'd, and he'd come alive again. Yeah. And then they idle. So it is... It is it's, it's, it, of course it's difficult. And, it's, and no one's going to agree. <clears throat> But I do agree. Plus with, a with, uh, <laughs> the exactly. I, I do agree with you completely. It is for the jockeys to work hard yeah. to make sure this yeah. is going to work. You know, especially on the big occasions. Like yes. it's, it's it can't just be an excuse that oh well it was the the Darby hunt cup or, or, or there was or whatever was yeah. on the line. So yeah. you know that's why that's why I forgot. And because yeah. yeah. it is the big days that the public and the people that, that don't like it are watching far more. Yeah. And by nature, it is the big days that cause the problems. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you said, shouldn't the ban, if you're banned on a Group 1 day, be you don't ride in the next nine group days when there's Group 1 racing? Rather than you miss Yarmouth, and no disrespect to Yarmouth, Catrick and Ripon the next yeah. week, you're missing Glorious Goodwood, for example, if you infringe at Royal Ascot. You're, you're going to be hit hard on the days when you want to be riding most. Well, I was going to say, uh, would, if we had... Stiffer penalties now without disqualification. Would that make any difference? Uh, well, Hayley said it would, didn't she? On I, she said she did. Yeah. She said, "Yeah, I've got a mortgage to pay. If I knew that I was going to have three months ban, I wouldn't do it." So if she could count when she was going to have a three month ban, <laughs> I'm quite sure why she couldn't count when she didn't really going to have a ten day ban. <laughs> but I, I really do think it is up to the jockeys. The jockeys have got to just grab hold of it and say, "That's it." Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. But we have to reflect as well on some of the excellent racing we had at Newmarket last uh, week, and obviously yesterday was the highlight of it all. Uh, and Dave, 10 sovereigns uh, somehow, after his run at Ascot, has produced this yesterday. What was the, what was the up, up, uptake from, from what Aidan O'Brien said and Ryan Moore said afterwards? It was absolutely fantastic. I think the market, the betting market, told you the story before Aidan opened his mouth, didn't he? This horse was so strong through the morning. And this was the 10 sovereigns we expected to see. We were excited about the spin division this season because of 10 sovereigns in Calix coming through to challenge the established stars. And Blue Point, Sean Bright, at Royal Ascot's exited stage left. 10 sovereigns was very disappointing in the Commonwealth Cup. But here on fast ground, on a more forceful ride, allowed him to get on a bowl along. And it was the makings of the horse, wasn't it? It's, Aidan afterwards was saying that he was two and a half seconds quicker than the other sprinter they've had at Ballydoyle on there. I mean, we want sectional timings for the races. Let's have them for the Ballydoyle gallops, please. I mean, he said four sub-11 second furlongs the horse had produced in his final series piece of work. And the fact that the betting market was so strong suggests that some people had got a hold of that data somewhere along that. Look, he was brilliant here. He put... I mean, the first five home with three-year-olds, 
So we can question what, how strong a July Cup was it. The sixth horse was Limbs Crusader, the Singapore Raider. The established printing styles were, were further back. It might not have been the strongest July Cup we've seen, but it was an authoritative performance when we needed one. We've now got a three-year-old sprinter who's laid down a marker, and fingers crossed he goes on from here. I mean, that's a cool more sponsor than none, thought Rishi. Why wouldn't you give five furlongs a go at York? But I, I, you wait for Haydock in the Sprint Cup, there's a chance of soft ground there. I mean... Quick five at York. Let's find out how quick he can go. To York, wouldn't they? I mean, it's going to be quick ground at York. It's quite easy five at York. It's quite neat. That's a very stiff. That's stiff six. That's an easy five. You're going completely different directions. Um, Ryan got the fractions absolutely spot on there because the near side rail was definitely in front at halfway. Yeah. And you know, um, how many times have we seen a a Ballydoyle horse do that? That's been disappointing in the spring. They've tried to make it into a miler. It's very difficult. that You're trying to make them into a miler, and then you're going, by the way, you're sprinting now, mm. back to sprinting, which is what happened mm. in the Commonwealth Cup. He was like, what? What? I've been waiting. Why are you suddenly yeah. making me go faster? And that's got him back into the mood of, of sprinting, and that was, that was a very, very impressive performance. Though. OK, we're actually going to hear from the winning rider. Uh, first of all, here's Ryan Moore. Yeah, he was very impressive. Um, he was still a little bit babyish, but he was sharper than he was at Ascot. Um, when I asked him, he, he quickened very well. I, I thought I thought he was very impressive today, and um, there's no doubt about his, how superior he was, really. You know, he just looked like a top-class sprinter, and um, hopefully he'll continue that for the rest of the year now. How do you account from the diff- for the difference uh, compared with Ascot, for example? Well, I think, you know, we started him in a guineas, and we were trying to get him to stay, and he just was a little flat Ascot, but... Um, and it was also a little bit... The ground was still a little bit slow, you know. He's, 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 he, needs, he needs a real stable surface. Ground probably was an issue, but probably a combination of the two at Ascot, you know. And, um, you know, he gets the trip very well. But he, he I, I thought the turn of foot he showed was the most impressive thing today. Could he drop back to five? Um, he... It could be an option, I suppose, but um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be sure what the plans are at the moment. You know, he came out of Ascot very well. Uh, we stretched him in the Guineas, um, probably beyond his trip, obviously. For a horse that was a sprinter to run, ran, run the race in the Guineas that he ran, he was still there with a half a furlong to go and not beaten very far. But he felt it, and for two or three weeks after the Guineas, he, he was a little bit quiet and a little bit tired mentally and physically. So it took him a little bit of time to come back. So we just had time enough to train him for Ascot again, and. Uh, obviously he went to Ascot and ran a great race we were delighted with him but he, he still wasn't really there because we had to mind him so much And but we, so it was all going to depend on how he came out of Ascot uh, he came out of Ascot great and uh, he really blossomed uh, from from Ascot to here and I think the last his last piece of work I remember looking at the thing there was a I think there was a 12 seconds and then there was 4 11 seconds in a row in his work like for 4 furlongs so for a horse when you see a horse doing that kind of times like they had to be quick and, and he had to be back on song Seamus rides him in all his work Stephen rides him in, out every day Andrew's in charge of him and Davey looks after him they're all over the moon with him so uh, we were really looking forward to him here Lydia, uh, Ryan gave him a great ride he rode him very confident he rode him like there was he, he felt he was the best horse in the race and he felt that there was no doubt about the trip um, so and he, he didn't mind which side he was going to come he was going to come out and come a straight line so no d- delighted for everyone really Lydia. and did the ride remind you all the the performance remind you of Mozart and Stravinsky. Ah, yeah, he's, yeah. Listen, I was probably even more impressed with this horse today. Like he went all the way mm. today, and and Ryan caught a hold of him 
going to the two and he like he took off didn't he you know so like um, Mozart went all the way I think up the stand side um, um, and and ground out the finish galloped to the line but this fella went and what I what I loved about this horse today when Ryan caught hold him he quickened he, he changed gears you know after going all the way like he, he he left the gates very fast very quick and he was like one of those good athletes he was able to go along in, in cruise control very easy you know he was going along at a good pace but he looked like he was going easy so listen he, he was fine and effortless and uh, uh, he's a beautiful mind he, he's a beautiful big horse great great hind part great sh- uh, front to him you know so uh, not delighted idiot really a perfect 10 for 10 sovereigns yesterday Aidan O'Brien with Circus Maximus brought him back from the derby distance to a mile who saw that coming I mean, who saw, I thought it needed further. Well, so, I mean, just shows what needed. We were talking about, for the, t- talking about the possible ledger horse. Uh-huh. Um, and he's obviously brought ten sovereigns back from a mile to six furlongs. The difficulty of that, you were just touching on it, uh, Eve. He was saying, you know, their minds are still, or they've been trained for uh, to slow down, to, to get the distances. How difficult is it to do in the space of time that he did it, both with Circus Maximus from a mile and a half to a mile, and with ten sovereigns from a mile to six? It's very difficult, but the, the hardest thing for a trainer, I think, is getting the trip right. That that That's what the hardest thing I find is. Some horses, it's very obvious what the trip is, and some of them are just like, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm scratching around what I'm doing here. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's, you know, the ones with a good mind, it's easy. It's easy to do, obviously. The ones who are, you know, slightly interesting characters, yeah. maybe it's easy. Uh, so, Charlie, uh, we've kind of just teased it. Do you think if he goes back... Eve says the Nunthorpe easy five, different from a stiff six. Would you think Aidan O'Brien will do it with? I completely agree with what he's saying, but I think he'll do it. As in, I, I think it's inevitable that it's the next step. I mean, if the horse sharpens up again from there and they can ride him as aggressively, I, I, I don't see why they wouldn't. And what is special is the way that they do campaign these horses aggressively. They're, they're not frightened to get it wrong. They're not frightened to try something new. And that is why time and again Aidan O'Brien's a genius, in my opinion. I mean, let, let's face it, go back to before Aidan O'Brien, we're talking about Circus Maximus and, uh, and Ten Sovereigns. Sir so Michael Stout did take Adjdal back from the Derby to win the July Cup. So, yeah, well, it's well, yeah. down there. The best thing I ever saw was Deja. And he started out getting beaten the free handicap on the season <laughs> yeah, yeah. Off, off about 89 yeah. or 90. I, yeah. mean, it, yeah. I mean, it really is. Yeah. The trip is, once you can get the trip sorted, it's just so much easier. Yeah. So, in, in, with regards to that, you'd imagine that they, you, you mentioned they sponsor the, the number. It's a shot to nothing, isn't it? Because they've got two Group 1, six yeah. furlong wins now. You've got a five furlong Group 1, favourites Batash, who twice has bombed out at the race and doesn't like York. You're then Mabs Cross, Soldier's Call, and a couple of the two year olds. It's not like he's going into a stellar renewal of the Coolmore Nunthorpe. It looks perfectly winnable on paper. What price, what perfect... price would he be? Well, it's five to one at the minute. It's five yeah. to two Batash, five to one um, Ten Sovereigns. If they announce now that they're pointing to the Coolmore, those prices would flip. And I think he could go off very short on the day yeah. if he does turn up. Yeah. Big race at York yesterday was the John Smith Cup. And this provided a great success for young Rob Hornby, who has been part of the Andrew Balding team now for a long time, uh, with a horse who ran disappointingly, very disappointingly, at Royal Ascot. He did, didn't he? But they, they interviewed Annalisa Balding beforehand uh, on ITV, and she pointed out he'd won so well at the EBA meeting here. And, and York is a course like that, that horses do tend to come back and run really well at. 
and I thought this was a lovely ride. It, it was a mm. John Spears Cup in which I've gone hard early, then tried to slow them up, and often they don't come back to you at York. Yeah. And he's on a holder pause, but he's not got too far back. He's in the right place all the way. The horse has travelled so so kindly through it, quickened up and put the race to bed, and then had enough in reserve to, to hold off the runner. I mean, he was a major gamble. It was a day of big punts around yeah. the country. There's a couple in here. But it, it was... Um, a very competitive John Smith's Cup. I mean, it's a remarkable race. A remarkable part. Was it the 60th year of sponsorship? It's, yeah. it's an incredible backing from John Smith. For, for the, and it's always one of the big betting races of the year. And, I mean, I made a case earlier in the week for four on Sporting Life and none of them hit the frame. It was staggered to notice <laughs> I looked at the winner and his win in August put him bang there, but I was disappointed with him at Ascot. But under a lovely ride and to track, he clearly excelled. He came back to life here. The way he, he moved through the race was... This is when he produces his best form. He needs to settle. He needs to get cover. Um, but he was close enough, as I think Annalisa Balding had said, that you know they told the instructions were to be close, but to have cover. But Charlie, the, the feeling that Rob Hornby must have got here, because this was the biggest win for him, to be travelling as well on a horse like this. I think he even said it. He, he was everything was going too well at one point. I mean, it was a really, really good ride because what you were saying, that instructions of be close enough but make sure you have cover on a tricky you know as in it, 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 it and, that, and that makes it tough you know and it, it, this was a ride of real maturity and and, and the, when we were talking earlier about the apprenticeship scheme within racing i mean the boldings they do it right don't they i mean yeah. it's it, it's it's a constant roll call of the who's who's of the weighing room and and they're all taught to ride the right way to conduct themselves right and and it's no wonder that time and time again they're producing top level jockeys mm. Well, that was a super performance from horse and rider. We'll get your thoughts in just a second because we're delighted to have Rob Hornby on the line. Morning, Rob. Good morning. Morning, Richie. Morning, all. I hope you're enjoying watching back that race as much as we... Actually, to be fair, you're going to enjoy it more than we did, watching <laughs> Pervoin win yesterday. Just, just describe your, your feelings as you were travelling so well on him into the straight. What was going through your mind? Well, it was, it was incredible, really. Um... You know, the race was just going so smoothly. He was coming into the race at the right time, and I almost thought this is too good to be true. Um, you know, to be travelling, coming into the last furlong, you know, without actually pushing, pushing the button yet, I um, I was just waiting for something to go wrong, and thank God it didn't. When you, when you knew you were going to be riding him in, in the John Smith's Cup and going to the races yesterday, did you feel that he was back to his best? Did you feel that the Ascot run was just a blip and the horse that was going to turn up yesterday at York was the best at Pavoyne? Definitely. I mean, he's, he's obviously well-proven on the track there, having won course and distance, which is so important, you know, um, with that form coming into the race. And he was just very well at home, and Andrew places these horses so well for the, for the big occasion and the big days. And um, like I say, everyone was very happy with him at home. He's coming in in great form, um, and no, yeah, it's just fantastic. Well, the one thing we've been chatting about this morning, uh, Rob, is the fact that the Baldings don't just prepare their horses for the big occasions, they prepare their riders as well. Just give us a little bit of insight into your time there and what it's done for you as a rider and as a person. Yeah, massively. I mean, you know, the Balding, Andrew Balding and the Balding family have been so good to me. I started down there at 16 years, years of age and my first job in, in flat racing. Um, and it's been, you know, they've been so so good to me, given me so many of my big successes um, and I can never thank them enough. And it's almost, I feel like part of the furniture now. It's been kind of eight years down there and um, 
no, it's just great to um, be connected with such a, such a great yard. And his record with jockeys speaks for itself, having you know seen so many great people come through. So it was always the place to be, and um, thankfully, you know, it's, it's it's paid off definitely. And what, what's it like with the other other riders there? Because obviously there are a few that have come through the ranks. You know, obviously there's there's a Sheen Murphy who's making headlines now. But other others that are there, is there a strong camaraderie between you all? Yeah, massively. And, and I think that that's what makes it such a a great place because it's it's competitive and you, you're always trying to improve every day. Um, but but everyone gets on so well. I, I remember when I was down there, you know, when I first arrived. Um, you know, the likes of Ashley Murphy, um, you know, Daniel Muscat, uh, Kieran Schumark, we were all there at the same sort of time fighting for rides and, and, you know, trying to, you know, get on the ladder and, and get the leg up on on the horses. And, and I think that is so important. We're all the same similar age um, battling for the, for the same sort of rides, which we were all great friends and, um, you know, wanted the best for each other, but also, you know, it kept us, kept, kept us sharp and kept us improving, I think, definitely. Well, Fantastic advertisement for your skills yesterday as well, Rob. Just before you go, just wanted to ask you about what you think this horse could do. Because I know he's had a couple of goes at a higher level pattern races this season. But it does seem that a big field, a strong gallop and decent ground like he got at York yesterday is right up his street. Could he potentially produce it in a sort of pattern race style race where you've got a smaller field, perhaps not quite the same sort of gallop? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it is important... Um... His race style is, um, you know, to get him handy enough with cover, settled um, at a good and and hope for a good pace in the race, which a big field like yesterday is important. Um, I mean, I'm sure that Andrew has a plan uh, and will campaign will campaign him uh, in the right way. But like yesterday, it just all went, you know, so smoothly for him, and and it, it he just showed his class. Um, and that's why I, I do think he can transfer it to, to the higher level because he is a high-class performer and, and he showed a really impressive turn of foot there yesterday. So, um, no, he, he, he could, he could you know, keep going, definitely. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. So Michael Stout alongside me and voracious... Uh, behind us. First of all, thank you very much for opening your doors on, on a Sunday morning. Very kind of you. Well, we're in a good mood because this is going to be a very exciting Sunday. <laughs> it, it is. It, there's horse racing on today. There's also the small matter of the British Grand Prix. There's also a Wimbledon men's final. And there's something else at Lords. Ah, yes. I think it's cricket. That, that's the big one, isn't it? Can I, give, can I get your prediction, first of all, for that before we talk horses? Uh, yes, I think England will win com- comfortably. Very confident. I, I like that confidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope you're right. Yeah, I think I am. Um, very much. Um, let's talk about Voracious. She was fantastic in the Falmouth. Um, how's she come out of it, first of all? How is she this morning, all well? And she was yesterday morning, too. You know, she had no travel and got a lovely ride. Uh, she ran a very, very big race at Royal Ascot, actually, because she just she didn't switch off. She, she just did too much. And uh, she, was, she was only beaten about, what, three, three and a half lengths. Good performance. Is there something about that which you'd seen, perhaps for, for, for all her runs this season, perhaps last season, which, which led you to come into the farm? I think you mentioned it to, to Lydia Hissop afterwards. It just let her go along out in front, which really suited her. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we, look, we've done it both ways. Um, but after Ascot, I thought that, you know, let her do her thing because she, she, she just did, did too much trying to be restrained. 
you said after the race as well that you felt she'd really come to herself as well. What, what was it about, about her at home which told you that she might be ready to give her career best? Well, my head man says that the, the work jockey said I've only just got her fit. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, this, she is, has, this is head man who's alongside. This she, is two luck on Sundays in two weeks for Michael Scott. Yeah, yeah. She, she, yeah it's taken a long... Funnily enough, Ryan rode her about um, 10 days before the race and uh, he knows her well. And he said, I think she's, she's, she's right now. She's just there. It just took a little time to get tuned. She, she was just stood beautifully there. She looked very relaxed this morning as well. I mean, you, she, well, don't she, worry, she's not for sale, so uh, you can, she can pose. I think I'd struggle. <laughs> um, I mean, she, she's beautifully bred filly. You, you clearly always, I mean, she was, she was at one stage possibly a guineas filly of yourself. I know she had a, a setback and she made a reappearance at Ascot, but you, it's fair to say you've always liked her. You always liked her as a, as a youngster. Yes, yeah, she's cla- always been classy. Is there anything about, some people may have looked at the race and seen your record in a Falmouth with Cheveley Park in particular, your last couple have come in those colours. Did you and the team really set out and think, this might be her race this year, the Falmouth. Was it ever a, a, a sort of mid-season target of yours or were you feeling your way through the season? Not really. We thought she'd win at Epsom and then we thought she might win at Ascot. And <laughs> yeah, we haven't just laid her out for the Falmouth. But uh, she'll probably now go for the Sussex. Really? Mm. Goodwood going to suit her, do you think? She ran a big race in the Nassau last mm. year. And I remember speaking to you at Newmarket before she ran and, and you... You mentioned trip-wise, you might just be feeling your way there. Are you set on a mile now? You, you think that's absolutely mm, her trip? No, she gets a mile a quarter. Okay. She gets a mile a quarter. We can we can go either. With whatever happens in the in the Sussex, could there be international targets on the agenda? Given what you and the owners have achieved to, together. Well, let's do the Sussex. <laughs> One step at a time. Yeah. I always ask you questions like this, and it's never the right question. The other one is straight after the race. I'll say, where next? And get her home and see. Well, but no, we're, not, we're not trying to be smart. It does take a little time to, you know, maybe I take a long time to come to conclusions, but it, you just need to weigh it up. Did you, I mean, you, 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 she ran the three group ones last year. You, you've always known this is a group one filly in the making, but I think there were doubters out there, to be honest, coming into this season, whether she would hit that height. Sure, yeah. Um... But it was, and I was just delighted for Cheveley Park. But, you know, they deserve to be winning races like that. They put a lot into it. Uh, can I mention? A, I know she stood behind us. Mention another Cheveley Park horse of yours who who ran uh, last weekend, Regal Reality. He ran a great race, didn't he? Big race. Yes, he's he's progressing. You know, he's pro- is he progressing up here? Well, he's he's only done that at Sandown. He hasn't done it anywhere else. And Sandown, you know had the races we've wanted to, to go for. So I bet you you go you go away from Sandown next time and be fine. Yeah. You think that, that, that be uh, right. the Ascot was a decision that that's not going to be for him, perhaps the occasion, or was it you wanted, always wanted to go back to Sandown with him? I thought it was the right race for him. Okay. Yeah. Ascot was pretty tough for him at that stage of his career. And it would be remiss of me not to mention... Crystal Ocean as well. Is he, is he better now than, than he's ever been to your mind? Or was, he was pretty good when just touched off in a, a King George last you year? You could ask him, look. Is that his head he's over there? He's from the right looking out at you. Nobody's paying any attention to him this morning and he's delighted. He's, <laughs> <laughs> he's thinking, hang on a second. I know she's won a good one, but I'm over here. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. King George? I, yeah, the, yeah, we'll go for King George. Yeah. And 
is there a chance to your mind that or does he have to be a better horse than 12 months ago to take it this year is he a better horse another year under his belt <sighs> is he um i don't know uh he was pretty good last year he's pretty good now uh, you know john john silly is she's a machine mm. she's going to be very hard to beat but we have to go got to try yeah. um voracious thank you Sir Michael Stout, thank you. We can just think cricket now. No, yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, that is it from Newmarket and Sir Michael Stout. It's all about the World Cup final now. We can relax. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Sir Michael. Well, we've still got luck on Sunday to finish, Tom. Hang on a second. <laughs> just chill out. Is there something else going on today? Anything else but luck on Sunday? Uh, yes, there is. <laughs> the taxes book for Shivani. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're just hearing from Sir Michael Stout about Crystal Ocean there, obviously taking on Enable in the King George. And if you were just saying that Crystal Ocean and Accidental Agent are old friends. Yeah, they were. Um, Rennie Robeson, when she was alive, used to fold all my mum's mares. So they were fold on the same stud. So they're old, old pals. Hmm. Two Group 1 winners roaming around in the mm. field as little ones. How lovely. Uh, and I, we've talked about Crystal Ocean taking on Enable in the King George. Um, the guy is just throwing in a couple of Derby winners and Sovereign and Anthony Van Dyke who might take them on. Do you think that Enable is in any danger, the three of you, of getting beat in the King George? I, I don't think so. She, seems, she doesn't seem to mind about ground or trip. You know, she seems, and she seems to thrive, love her racing. Mm. And um, Mr. Gosling is so clever. You know, he doesn't, she waits till she says, I'm ready to go. He doesn't ever think, oh, I must run, I must run. He just waits for her. So that's fabulous. Um, I think it'd be exciting for a good three-year-old to show up. Yeah. Mm. Um, Japan, Brilliant. you were yeah. mentioning. Or, you know, for a three-year-old, yeah. for yeah. the younger generation to show up and go, here I am. Yeah. Just be careful what you say about Crystal Ocean, Dave, because he's... Just behind you. Oh, of course, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Don't be rude. <laughs> I know you like Crystallation as well. I mean, what do you think about what would happen in the King George if all those horses turned up? I think she'll win, but it's a proper test. But isn't it good to see the Eclipse and the King George? Because we've had this clamour in recent years to the autumn because of the overseas mm. prizes and the huge money that's on offer and the, the prestige in the autumn that stars have been put away. They'll win their derby or... Yeah. But the Eclipse was good this year. And it's a really, really good King George on paper. And she's got the horses being campaigned. Yes, I think she'll win. I think she, she'll have the, the ability to do so. But it would be a proper test. And the only thing in the back of your mind, the only three all that ran in the Eclipse was Telecaster, the Dante winner. And he, 52nd, I don't think he gave his running. I know Hugh Morrison's talking about maybe finishing for the season and bringing him back next year. Mm. I think it's all been a bit too much physically and mentally for him, having rushed him through the spring to, to get him where they were. And I think there's big data to come from him. I'd be surprised if Anthony Van Dyke or Sovereign were able to lay it up to the big two older horses, but it'd be wonderful if they could, because then the narrative for the rest of the season mm. would be made. But the boring answer is, I think, Enable will beat Crystal Ocean. Just the way the race might be run, and it sounds boring, but it could, it's, it's, I think it's going to be exciting, because I can't imagine that Aidan O'Brien will allow Enable to have an easy time. I think, I suspect they're going to make it a really, really strong test of stamina. Well, a good pace maker in Sovereign for it, haven't they, Rishi? Who <laughs> is well capable <laughs> yeah. of doing the job. He did it brilliantly last time. Too brilliantly, some may say. But it's going to be an attritional race. Do you not think, Charlie? I'd say definitely. I mean, like, like again, the, the, you, you could keep waxing lyrical about Aidan O'Brien, but they are also incredibly good at making a plan to beat rivals aren't they and, and and with two derby winners in there against them 
like it's it's a pretty good hand. Uh, much as it, I think we all need superstars, and I, I hope Enable will win. You know, because you want something to keep lighting up the season, and and she is a, an unbelievable talent. But I don't know if it'd be as straightforward as maybe we all think right now. And I also think it's a great shot in the arm of the King George if we're going to have two Derby winners taking on these very very good older horses mm. in Enable and your absolute favourite Crystal Ocean. Uh, Sangaris is coming up there. What <laughs> uh, are the talking points this week on on social media? I don't know if you guys are following it. One or two people asking, you know, who who was better, uh, Enable or Frankel? Their careers have been different. Some people are saying, well, Frankel obviously he was the best racehorse, but other people say he never travelled. Um, is that is that? I know I know everyone's busy and they don't have time for all this <laughs> sort of thing. But it's nice sometimes just to to sit I back. I think and it's impossible a... to compare generations. is very difficult. Um, I think uh, you know he had two, you know, uh, two, three, and four. She's gone on till she's five, so she's had more chance to to show off her ability. I mean, he was stunning. I will never forget that Guinness. The Guinness was yeah. the most am- amazing race I've ever seen. And it just, I was there and I was just, it just stood in shock. Could not believe how he'd done that. Um, and he was versatile trip as well. I, I don't know. It, I, I mean, okay. I love okay. Enable, so but I, they, think, I have to go Frankel. I've got to go Frankel. I was, going to, I was going to ask you, which one would you rather have trained? And, and you can't choose... Frankel. With the careers that they've had. You Frankel. Have, wow, OK. Not win an arc. Frankel. Twice. How many, times, <laughs> how many times would you like to ask me say questions? Try. <laughs> Frankel. Frankel. All right, which one would you like to have ridden, Charlie? Oh, Frankel. Like, I mean, you, wow. it, mm-hmm. like, you don't see... Horses shouldn't be able to basically bolt and win the guineas and win a classic. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about rhythm and all that being so important. And I mean, they just dropped the paws on him and, and let him run. And to see that, it just blew me away. Was a queen it, I genuinely, I mean, mm. Frankel obviously was an incredible race, the best racehorse mm. we've seen. But the, the career that Enable has had, isn't it a more exciting career that she's had? It is. Um, I mean, the, the hand had been slightly forced in that she missed a big chunk of last season, didn't she? We, um, came back to, and she's also a, a mare, Philly, which gives them, with Fangle, the clamour to stud was always there. Yeah. You didn't know. I mean, I'll never forget. It was the Queen Anne for me at four for Frankel. The Black Caviar mm. came up from Australia. We had mm. this discussion around the world yeah. rankings, which was the best thing. If ever there was a follow that message in racing, it was that, wasn't it? Yeah. Took the handbrake off and mm-hmm. scooter clear back celebration. Yeah. And then the Judmont, the Judmont. Oh, when it would be oh. Nicholas Abbey. I mean, yeah, another yeah. amazing oh, horse. And he just him, made yeah. him look like he was standing still. And I, I don't, I don't buy into... sectionals would have been amazing. They, they would, would have been fascinating, yeah. wouldn't it? I don't buy into that you have to travel to be the best or be better. You know, as in, like, like you say, Sir Nicholas Abbey, mm. Sirius Tazega and the Champions League. You know, he, he beat mm. stacks of incredibly good horses and I, I don't see why you have to travel around the world to prove that. Where would you have gone with him? Are we talking Irish champion or Breeders' Cup? Because they're really the... Oh, no, the arc. Frankel. Oh, I'd like to have seen him run in, in the arc. I, but do you know what? I, I know that, but I don't, I don't mind. Manager, that would have been... Yeah, I don't... Yeah, a bold call. <laughs> I don't mind. What about, what, about, what about the July Cup? That would be the only yeah. thing I'd have liked to have well, seen him do. Yeah, Just why not? Why not? But he, his, 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 <laughs> Sir Henry was training his mind, wasn't he? I'd yeah. say he was terrified. You drop him back to a sprint and you, you light him up again. But I just think he'd, I think he'd have won half the track in a July Cup or something yeah. like that. Well, um, yes, he probably But interestingly, his progeny stay. Yeah, they do. His progeny really stay. Well, so yeah. you could be right. She should have run in the arc. Yeah. Have, no. He was never going to run in the derby. That was never going to happen, yeah. especially given the way he won the guineas. But it would just been nice to see what he would have done. And also... It'd be nice to, to send him somewhere for, to show him off, kind of yeah. thing, more than anything else. But I guess the one thing that 
enables story doesn't have was is is that emotion of Sir Henry Cecil, which mm. elevates what Frankel did through his whole career to a different level because the relationship between horse and trainer there were inextricably linked, you know, to the point where it was almost surreal watching Sir Henry with Frankel through his career and the relationship that they had. I thought that was what, in all, in all honesty, made it more of a special uh, career for me than the fact that Nabel's running the Breeders' Cup. In the... I, com- I completely agree. I mean, I, we get to a lot of the media's trips. You see, we're very, very fortunate to visit wonderful yards and speak to people. But there was a 10-minute impromptu press conference at Newmarket one day with Sir Henry talking about Frankel. It was um, ahead of the Judmont International. He just held court in a meeting room. And it was the most amazing 10 minutes I think I've ever had in my career with racing. It was just spellbinding. Just hearing him talk about the horse and the challenges and what he meant to him and the plans. And it was, it was just absolutely wonderful. Mm. And yeah, that part of the story can never be taken away. Nor the, the horse. I mean, the, you look at the, I, I, I saw the debate on social media. I thought I'll have a quick look at the time form racing just to try to get some sense of perspective. And it was like, mm. I think £18 clear for Uncle on time for eighteen. I mean, that, that's where you're aiming up towards. Yeah, yeah it'd been fascinating to see him running an arc or the Breeders' yeah. Cup, but it yeah. wasn't to be. It would have been fascinating, obviously, but still. I, no, I, after all the, <laughs> all the bluster... So, and what about you? Who would you rather owned? <laughs> Selfishly, uh, enable. Uh, oh, what they've done. If I'd owned Frankel, I'd have campaigned him differently. No, that's so, not the point. The point is, yeah. you made me put us on the spot. Come on, who would you rather owned uh, on en- there? Enable. There you go. Enable, enable, enable. enable. <laughs> so, Garius, uh, I just wanted to ask you guys about something that is also very... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a topical discussion now. Who's going to be the champion jockey this season? Because Danny Tudhope, he's always been a, a very, very good rider, but suddenly he is now in the spotlight. His relationship with William Haggis has obviously propelled him, helped propelled him to the top of the Stobart Flat Jockeys Championship standings. He's one ahead of Oshin Murphy... Uh, Sylvester D'Souza, the reigning champion, the perennial champion, has now got ground to make up. Uh, and PJ McDonald, uh, at the moment, it looks like it's a full-on task for, for PJ. Uh, but Danny Tudhope, you know, is this something that has been waiting to happen for a long time, just with the right opportunity? Have you seen that? I, I think a jockey from the north has been definitely, you know, because... I think there's a huge firepower out there and, and Danny has been bubbling under for a long time and I think now, and I think the whole of the North will get behind him as well. I think that will really... That will be quite exciting. Yeah, you know, I think... I think um, and there's a lot of opportunities you can pick up, you know, yeah. go go to, to Redkers and Catericks and, and hopefully sort of do get four or five winners there. Yeah. Where Asheen is actually... I know he's trying really, he really wants it, but he's he's got commitments and um, he won't necessarily be able to go and ride four or five at Brighton, which he might be able to just sweep up from. Yeah, that, yeah. That's the sort of difference, I think. What are your thoughts on Danny Tudhope's riding skills and what he brings to the to the table? I mean, he's, he's an all-round talent, isn't he? I mean, I like the story, the fact that he nearly fell out of the game, didn't he, for a while, and then he's sort of got his head down, came up with David O'Meara as well. And, and I mean, and then you, you see it like when he comes down to Ascot and rides for... William Haggis and yeah. people like that. As in, he, he's he's a supremely gifted rider, and I think it, it can be easy to play it down his abilities because he's a northern base, and it's like you know, like he does he deserves to be champion jockey because he is a, a, a way 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 above average jockey and, and, a, and a top level performer. And it wouldn't surprise you if he won the championship this year and got a big job down south. Mm. What would be what would be the message if Danny Tudhope won the jockey's championship this year? 
what was the message? Oh, I don't know. It's a very good question. Mm. It'd be fantastic for for the sport in the north. Uh, we've won it before. Paul Hannigan won it with mm. Richard. But if you looked at the numbers, I think it was 120 rides less than Ocean yeah. Wave. Mm. That's where the problem's going to come. You're, you're going to hit July and August now. And I, I think Danny's got a retainer with Clipper Logistics. He rides for David O'Mara. I'm not sure how much. A lot of the other Northern Yards, Mark Johnson got his own jockeys, Richard Fire he has. I'm not sure how much firepower will be available to him up there. I think he's done phenomenally well to be, be in it as long as he has. But I think what speaks volumes for his quality as a rider is he's been the rider in the north for William Haggis for Sir Michael Stout now. Comes down south to Alaskot, he's their go-to man now. I mean, we're having a discussion when C of Class, we had all sorts of connections with her at the moment, due to make her reappearance and we didn't think James Doyle was available. And the name that was being bandied around to rider was Danny Tuddo, which I think just tells you exactly where he is right now mm. in the pecking order. William Haggis, I think, has played a, a huge part in, in, in Danny Tudhope's rise, obviously. But it was interesting, I mean, at Royal Ascot, he won, obviously, on Lord Glitters, he won on a day, and then he popped, up to, popped off to Ripon to ride on one day, came back again. Um, I guess that's, that, whilst that he hasn't the quite got the numbers, making, yeah. but that's the strength yeah, that he will yeah, have this yeah, year, yeah. will be the fact, what you're saying mm. about, he's, he, he can go to mm. a meeting, sweep up a couple of winners. Mm. Um, what about Asheen Murphy and his progression this year and, and where he's got to? I mean, how much further does he have? I mean, Danny Tudhope looks like he's now settled and he's, he, he's settled in the position that he is as he's calm and you chat to him and he's, he's as calm on a horse as he is chatting to you after a race or whatever. Asheen looks like, does he, does he still feel like he's on that upward curve and there's more to come from him because he's so he, young? Yeah, I mean, he's young. He's still, there's still... More to come. I think he needs to learn to pace himself because he won't be able to go at the pace he's going. What, I can't remember what it's 370. He, he, can't, Three, yeah. he can't do that for year on year on year. So he'll have to learn to pace himself to, to give himself longevity. But I know he really wants the championship. Do you think he, that's, that's the one thing that perhaps he can incorporate into his. What, what time management sort of been? And, and, I mean, but you see, you see this, don't you? I mean, like Ryan had the few years where he was champion jockey, and, and then I think, I think plenty of them do. Mm win a couple of titles and elevate themselves to that sort of elite group one go-to rider. And yeah. then they'd say, do you know what? I've won a couple of championships and now I'm going to measure my time and make sure that I can see it out for <laughs> year to, years to come. And, and I'm sure that will come. But he's obviously set his stall out this year that he wants to be champion jockey and he's going to go all out for it. But, I mean, for me, last year was Sheen Murphy's coming of age year with all those group ones and maturing into his role with Qatar racing. And, and, and again, he's just another very, very good rider. Is there something wrong if that's the case, then, that riders do that? They win a couple of titles, it's, they've it's, established themselves amongst the elite, and they look for a different type of career. It's, very, it's, 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 it's very hard to be riding in that many races all the time. Mm. It is very hard, especially if you're struggling with your weight. That is where Sylvester Souza has a yeah. huge advantage. Is he can get up in the morning, have a good old breakfast, off he goes, probably have a bit of lunch. Mm. You know, he, can, he has no problems with weight. Asheen and Danny Tudhope are probably get up, have a nice bit of lemon in hot water, mm. sit in sit in the bath for yeah. however long, and you know, and that it's it's I don't think it's the the necessary the number of rides it's the day in day out wearing down. Yeah. What about when people say well, but Pat Eddery, Lester Piggott, they won multiple titles. Yeah, but Pat Eddery and Lester Piggott, Lester Piggott, when he was riding, he was considered tall. He'd be tiny compared to these jockeys. They're all so much taller. And so much, I mean, it's just different make and shape now. Mm. And we haven't, and the weights have not adjusted at all to it. That's something eh? we, could, we could also look at. What, what are your thoughts, Dave? 
I think it's maybe think about Tony McCoy, who dominated the Jump Jockeys mm. Championship. Peter Hudmore did it before him. I know there's evening meetings. I haven't got that amount yeah, of time. I think that the evening meetings—they are different sports. Part, yeah. part They're completely of, different sports. Yeah. But with the flat, there is definitely that. The ones who've been through—you speak to Paul Hannigan. He won't want to put himself through it again, mm. having done it that once. And, and Paul is very light. Paul yeah. would have yeah, weight yeah. issues, you know. As in, and, and it was a really tough year. Him and Richard were determined to get in, and he did. Yeah. It was a wonderful achievement. But you really go through the mill to be, and it's refreshing to see a jockey like O'Sheens come out and say, "Yeah, I want to be champion." Because we used to, oh, I'm not really bothered. I'll yeah. take a look in. September I wouldn't write. I wouldn't there. write off Sylvester. I would not write him no. off. No, I think you know he can do really lightweight. Mm. He, he finds it easier like that. And he, I mean, I, I he's had just had a ban, hasn't he, from Ascot? Didn't he have a ba- big ban from yeah. went beat the bank? Yeah, so yeah, he's yeah. so he's behind anyway. Cause he's had a seven day ban. So you know he's got that out of the way. I wouldn't write him off. I don't think anyone can really call the guys into question about this. You know, either like as in they've got to do the best for themselves. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a very long career, and 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 if. By saying, look, I'm not going to go to and ride in four evening meetings a week and do this and do that. But you know what? By doing that, I will still be riding Group 1 winners when I'm in my mid-40s. Well, I who, who is anyone to question that? Well, look at Frankie. I mean, he takes Monday yeah. and Tuesday off. Yeah. Because it's about... If you're John Gosden or Aidan O'Brien, mm. you want them at their best in the Group 1s. Like, without being rude... Would, would Aidan O'Brien be going, oh, brilliant, yeah, Ryan, get on your plane and go to Catrick and, and ride mm-hmm. four or five of these, and then come Saturday you're that exhausted, you're making bad calls. They've got to be ready for the big days. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.